Good morning. I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It was first observed as Asian Pacific American Heritage Week in 1979, and then in 1992, Congress passed a law which designated May as Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. The month of May was chosen to commemorate the immigration of the first Japanese to the United States on May 7th. 1843, and to mark the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10, 1869, the majority of the workers who laid the tracks were Chinese immigrants. Although the U.S. has celebrated the histories and the accomplishments of Asians in America for the past three decades, there are many facets of Asian American and Pacific Islander history that are still not common knowledge. So today, I'm very pleased to welcome Dawn K. Wing as we talk about how she is contributing to preserving and publicizing Asian American history. Dawn is a reference and instruction librarian at Metropolitan State University in St. Paul, Minnesota. There, she helps students develop their information, media, and cultural literacy skills, particularly through popular culture and graphic narratives. She promotes diverse voices and underrepresented histories by coordinating community engagement events and programs such as film screenings, literary readings, and zine workshops. Dawn is also an artist. Her work includes comics, zines, prints, collages, and more. She is also the founder of Water Pig Press. Water Pig Press was awarded the 2022 Minnesota State Arts Board Creative Support for Individuals Grant to debut her second historical comics biography, Tian Wu, Freedom Warrior, which is a comics biography about Tian Wu, a survivor of child trafficking and advocate for Chinese victims of sex trafficking during the Chinese Exclusion Act era in San Francisco's Chinatown. Dawn's first historical comics biography, Tai Leung Schultz, Translator of Justice, tells the story of the first Chinese-American woman to cast a vote in a presidential election in 1912. Good morning, Dawn. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Sanaa. I'm very honored to be a guest on your podcast. Um, And I love that you um, are sharing your platform so that more people know about uh, these stories and the works that uh, your past guests and future guests are doing. Um, And yeah, and I'm just happy to talk to you about the things that I've done. Yes, well, thank you so much for that. And I have to let all the listeners know that, so Don and I, we met last month in April at the Association for Asian American Studies Annual Conference, which was in Denver. And as Don and I were chatting, she was telling me about the work that she does. And she gave me a little teaser about um, Ty Leung Schultz, the um, comics biography, and just off those couple of, you know, few seconds teaser about <laughs> this story, I was like, I have to have you on the show because, I mean, it's so amazing. First, just 
the story of Ty Leung Schultz is amazing in and of itself, but then also you as creating this comics biography, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like so cool, like making history so contemporary um, in the format in which this story is told, right? Like a comic book, uh, but then also just thinking about the connections between her story and even, you know, what's happening today. So I'm just so pleased that you said yes and we're going to get to chat about your work and a lot of other things around Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just want to say like listening to your podcast and I mentioned to you in the message, just I love your spirit of curiosity. And I think I really do believe like when we connected at that conference, I was like the synergy. And, and so I was so grateful when you, when I got that message in my inbox, I had been thinking, I was like, contact Sana, contact Sana. And then, but you reach out to me first and, um, you know, just, I am very grateful that um, my love of learning, I'm a librarian, so I'm all about lifelong learning and I'm an artist and I like to channel creativity however I can, not just an artist in the visual medium, visual arts medium, but in teaching mm-hmm. um, and in gardening and, you know, you know, and, and, and I'm continuing continually growing as a person as we all are. And a part of growth is really about um, being open and uh, to learning more about other people's experiences, about history, about, po- and but also imagining visions for the future. I think one of your guests mentioned the importance of that, or I've been, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so maybe I'm merging <laughs> a lot of different ideas, but um, yeah, and, and so, uh, you know, curiosity, as you've read in my book, Tyler and Schultz, Translator for Justice, was the impetus. Like this is, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, five years ago, I didn't know who she was, and I'm of Chinese descent, right? Mm-hmm born and bred in New York City, went to public schools, never, right? The whole, it's so, it's whitewashed, right? (laughs) History, the way it's taught or not taught, I should say. Um, And, you know, it isn't until we go to high school, even if if those of us who like you and myself, you know, are wanting to, you know, uh, learn more about, hey, you know, why am I having these, I have all these questions and we get to take classes um, in Asian American studies, if they're even offered, (laughs) you know, um, in our universities. um, And, or in my case, I was, active with a, um, I went to Wellesley College. It's an all-women's college right outside of Boston. And there was the Wellesley Asian Alliance. And I became very close friends with people I still talk to today, like these fierce Asian American women, vocal in the arts and in different, you know, sectors of society. And it's just so important, right, to find um, others, you know, who want to really make sense of just like, you know, am I the only one who feels this way? And, you know, we mentioned Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong, a brilliant book who really encapsulates, yeah, that those feelings that we were raised, or at least in my case growing up, you know, second, third generation, my mom's from Hong Kong, but, but anyway, it was just that kind of like through the years of just keep your head down, you know, don't, don't speak up too much. Just like, you know, like it's a lot, I think in a lot of, for a lot of children of immigrants, it's like, because of the traumas and, you know, the difficulties that our ancestors went through, um, you know, it's just like, okay, we just, we came here, we sacrificed a lot and just, you know, go, go through the steps you need to take to achieve that American dream. Right. But as we know, coming back to, you know, history repeats itself no matter what, you know, and in terms of being of Asian descent, 
um, Asian American woman, hyper visible, hyper invisible, mm-hmm. being scapegoated, you know, for you know issues that arise, right? As we've, we've experienced during COVID. Um, yeah. And so anyway, the list goes on and on, and I just think that. Um, uh, yeah, the art has saved me, as your guest Kibo Drew mentioned. I think like sometimes it it felt very overwhelming, isolated. I felt very alone, and um, but I think my curiosity uh, drew me to people like yourself and to Tyler and Schultz's descendants, her grandson Ted Schultz, um, that I mentioned in my book. Who, long story short, we we're connected because after going to this New York Public Library exhibit in Chinatown, uh, Manhattan in New York, uh, there was a small exhibit called Chinese American Herstory. And I just saw a little blurb of it in Time Out New York. I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. still in circulation, but in major cities, it's this free arts and culture magazine and you can see what's going on in your city. And so I was like, wow, I've never saw any kind of event like this. So I went one day and uh, it was covering the legal history of Chinese American uh, woman who broke both the glass and bamboo ceilings, um, mm-hmm. whether, you know, learning about who was the first two, first Asian American woman to become a federal judge and so on, and some pre- Supreme Court cases um, of Mammy Tape who um, wanted to uh, have her kids go to public schools and <laughs> not be segregated and whatnot. So anyway, I, Ty was one of the women featured, Tyler and Schultz was one of the women featured, and I was just uh, drawn to her story. Uh, there was a little bit of it, but I was like, well, what kind of led her to that time that mo- to make that historic moment of casting the first boat and what happened after, you know, and it turned out she had quite the life. And I contacted the curator of that exhibit um, thinking, you know, maybe I could collaborate with her on something else. And long story short, that fell through, but I threw that step, right, of just kind of me as this explorer um, and wanting to connect more with that Chinese American history, um, that led me to Ted Schultz, um, Tyler and Schultz's grandson. And he actually did research on me, which he should have, because I said, oh, can I interview you, get some more information? I have this project in mind to do yeah. like a, a digital exhibit or something. And then he's like, actually, I he, he when we finally met, he's like, I see that you're a cartoonist and I'm impressed by the the way you illustrate your own life stories. And I think that you, through graphic novels and comics, like that's, as you said, like that's what a lot of, that's what's very popular today. And that would engage a wide variety of readers of, across ages. And so I can see you tell my grandmother's story in this way. Wow. So it's, a, I, yeah, I kind of felt like, how can I say no? <laughs> you right. know, it's such an honor. And yeah. that this person felt like he trusted me and just, yeah meeting me for the first time. And I mean, it's just so from there, the rest as they say is history. I didn't know how long I've never thought really. I mean, as you know, I, as I mentioned, um, I went to Wellesley, I did major in art, studio art and art history. And long story short, I was like, oh, maybe I'll work in museum education or art education. But then I also love to travel. So I taught abroad in Japan and then ended up in education. So I was an English as a second language teacher, um, mostly in New York City high schools and um, in my twenties. And then I transitioned into becoming a librarian because I really liked doing um, literacy programming Mm -hmm. and wearing different hats. So not just teaching in a classroom but also doing community um, events and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, that was an interesting kind of 
didn't see myself becoming a librarian, um, <laughs> but art was always a thread, you know, yeah. um, using uh, visual arts as a way to connect to my students, as a way to, um, you know, share with them, hey, you can tell your own stories in this way as well. Um, and it can be a fun way to learn a different language as I have used it for myself when I was teaching abroad in Japan many years ago. Um, and Japan also informed me in, um, as an artist in that I uh, got exposed to their rich culture and history of manga, of like, you right. know, drawing and, you know, telling stories through drawing and writing. And I was blown away. And um, so that has always stayed with me throughout wherever I lived, whatever profession I was in um, to this day. And um, I was going somewhere with the story, but I don't remember. <laughs> but oh yeah, I don't know. I guess just like when we open ourselves to learning the opportunities that come to connect and kind of um, this, this project. Um, so this was back in 2016, 17. And um, I, uh, at that time, I was a community college librarian right outside of New York City. And I was fortunate that I got funding. I said, you know, I, I talked to my colleagues about this idea. They're like, you know, you can try to get professional development funding to go out to California, do more um, interviews and go into archives, get information and uh, produce this manuscript. Because I've never done anything like a book before. I mean, I kind of sometimes some people in my past and my family and my friends are like, oh, you like to draw. I like your cartoon. Maybe you can publish a book. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, so then I started with zines and zines yeah. is Z-I-N-E-S, um, which is a basically a do-it-yourself booklet that um, you can publish and it has its roots in um, anarchist punk culture, riot girl culture, um, and even earlier before that, like in, um, you know, uh, the early days of, um, in the U.S. colonies, like people would produce pamphlets and um, anti-slavery, you know, abolitionists would basically produce zines, you know, as a way to inform people, hey, like, let's fight against slavery, <laughs> you know, so zines are just have that rich history that still resonates with me. I still create zines and obviously teach people how to make it because, yeah, if you don't see yourself represented in stories, don't wait around for someone to do it, just do it yourself. Right. You know, you can make as many copies and sometimes some people who started out with zines, there are publishers that see their work and maybe they can be more widely published that way or, uh, turn into magazines, you know, um, as Bitch Magazine, it started out as a, a zine format and then now it's still in circulation. So yeah, the possibilities are endless. And so yes. anyway, that's what I wanted, <laughs> wanted to start out with. It was a rather long monologue. but <laughs> <laughs> No, but thank you for taking us on this journey that I see this thread of curiosity, you know, that idea that you started with kind of in the beginning, right, of being curious and, and following that curiosity, you know, not letting the curiosity end with just a question or a wondering, but rather pursuing it, um, you know, seeing just, you know, a, a a little snippet mentioning Ty and then going to this event and then reaching out to, you know, other people to try to see how can I pursue this curiosity even further, right? Mm -hmm. And so this just shows what you what happens when you really do just like let let yourself get lost in the curiosity and just remain open to what might come of it. 
So I love that. And that, and what you said about, you know, you don't have to wait to see yourself represented. You can create the representation yourself. And I think that is so powerful because, you know, as you mentioned, for most most folks in the U.S., you don't learn Asian American history. You might get like a little blurb about uh, maybe Japanese internment, um, maybe something around railroads now, you know, like that time period, but that's about it. And so oftentimes, if you don't see yourself anywhere, you can even stop asking the question, mm-hmm. you know, and that was definitely, you know, some of my experience growing up, you just get so used to they're not being answers or they're not, you know, so you stop even, you kind of squash that curiosity. So I love that you really followed your curiosity and now you've created something that people can come to in the future, you know, decades and decades from now, this will still be in existence. So what a gift to Ty's family, right? To Ted, but also to all of us to be able to return to this. And I just have to let listeners know that this comics biography, first of all, is absolutely beautiful. I love the illustration, but then just the story itself, like you said, so you mentioned just a little bitty piece of it, which is that um, Ty Schultz groundbreaking in casting her vote um, in a presidential election in 1912. And that's just a piece of it. So I'm wondering if you could tell us just a little bit about Ty's story and maybe some things that stuck out to you as you were collecting all this history. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love the way you articulate your questions and you just set it up so beautifully. <laughs> Because what I was going to say is um, her story just really resonated with me as I discovered I was doing the research. It's really a story of resistance. And it's a story that we need to hear, that I need to hear. And I know that then that's why I decided to self-publish it. Long story short, people, I could have had it out into the world sooner. But, um, you know, I wanted to see, okay, maybe I can get it to independent comics presses, talk to some friends. Because I've done the comics, independent comic circuits for a couple of years now. And, you know, it's not uncommon for independent comic artists like myself to just self-publish for these reasons. It's like, you know, I just want my story out there <laughs> and, and then and then we'll see if it grows, it grows. And, um, but the urgency was, as I mentioned, you know, there was all this just very traumatic um, anti-Asian violence, uh, particularly towards Asian American women. And and I was just, you know what, I, I need to do this for myself for the legacy of Thai, um, she lived in a time that was also very overtly violent <laughs> against mm-hmm. Chinese Americans. And she was born, she's American, her parents were immigrants and she was born in San Francisco's Chinatown. And Chinatowns were created um, because Chinese had nowhere else to go. Like they were recorded as cheap labor, you know, to do the most dangerous grunt work for the railroads and agricultural work and whatever, yet they were not allowed to live amongst whites, right? Mm-hmm. So they lived in these very small places and it was dense and, and whatever. So that was her world. Um, yet a lot of missionaries came in, um, Presbyterian missionaries, and they're like, okay, this is where we can save like the heathens. You know, it was kind of like this. And it was also the temperance movement. So it was a lot of, they're aware that because of the, um, or the, you know, the correlation of the Chinese Exclusion Act was, um, uh, you know, there was this fear, this yellow peril, you know, that they're taking over, even though it was like very, a very small population of the United States were, people were Chinese immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, nonetheless, scapegoated for economic um, depression and, and diseases and whatnot. Uh, that didn't stop 
Chinese immigrants from coming, mostly men, right, for work to support their, you know, so there were, there weren't a lot of women, right, so unfortunately what happened is there is this black market of, you know, hey, well, we can, sex trafficking, right, and so that was the association of like, oh, you know, if you're an Asian woman, you must be a prostitute, like that still, unfortunately, is very um, insidious today, um, right, as was the uh, as what came through, unfortunately, with the Atlanta killings, right? That kind of, oh no, it wasn't a hate crime. It was, it's a sex right. addict. It's like, oh my God. So anyway, um, that's, a, yeah. So I, uh, you know, despite this, you know, Ty just, she was very resourceful. So as I mentioned, there were um, the existence of these white Christians, you know, in, in Chinatown, you know, and they taught English and they provided some resources and they did do rescue work. So if there were women um, in domestic abuse situations or, you know, like wanting to get out of enslavement, you know, in brothels and whatnot, um, they, uh, you know, physically, you know, risked their lives, these uh, white Christian women, along with Chinese American uh, assistants like Tyler and Schultz, because these, the white Christian missionary women, they didn't speak Chinese, right? Mm -hmm. So how do they gain trust? How they can, can, how can they really help the community, right? So they knew they needed to get help from women within the community, Chinese women. And so Tyler and Schultz ended up playing a very major role among many of the um, thousands of women who ended up living there. Uh, and so she, um, Tyler and Schultz, uh, wasn't in a situation where she was being sex trafficked or anything, um, but she was the youngest of eight children. She came from a large family. Her father was a shoemaker and so didn't have a lot. They lived in poverty and uh, yet they were pretty, uh, they allowed her to look, take English classes. And so she, that's how she was exposed. She kind of knew about um, resources and, and knew that, uh, hey, you know, if I was bilingual, that would really help me, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of work, in terms of, you know, maybe possibilities, you know, to have a better life and, and to also support her family. And that's what ended up happening. So her family was pretty traditional in that, um, you know, they, they had daughters and some of them were in arranged marriages and one of her older sisters didn't want to go through with an arranged marriage mm -hmm. as mentioned in the book and so she, her sister like ran away <laughs> to get out of that situation and the man the Chinese man was in Montana so this was like a total stranger mm -hmm. and then Ty was very young at the time she was maybe 13 14 and the parents were like okay maybe you can take your sister's place and then Ty was like no I don't think so <laughs> so I even like that kind of defiance you know yeah. she wasn't rude about it but I think she just knew like okay I'm taking these English classes you know she's just exposed right. and you know unlike her parents who were working all the time and so she uh kind of went over to the church and um they they allowed her to stay and she worked for them in exchange and buying their groceries um going on these uh missions to brothels or places to actually physically get mm -hmm. uh women out who were in danger um but also going to court I learned that wow like um, Ty, Lauren Schultz, um, and other translators, um, along with Donald and Cameron, who was the main supervisor of the Presbyterian Mission Home at the time. Um, this is in the late 19th century. Um, they, it was very exhausting work because a lot of, just like today, right, as we know with 
traffickers, human traffickers, it's organized. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, they have a lot of buy-in from corrupt officials <laughs> within our own country. People don't realize like, this is a whole system, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not just like, so black and white, it's, like, it's only the Chinese mobsters, you know, or they're called like triad members, you know, and it's not, and, you know, they had, they had, they were buying out, you know, help from the cops and, you know, people in the courts. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it was just a lot of having to go into back and forth into courts because they're, um, they were dealing with lawyers from these traffickers and, you know, who are very savvy about knowing how to manipulate the system. Oh no, this, but this woman's not being sex trafficked. She's right. the sister of so-and-so. She's the wife of so-and-so. And, um, you know, and this was at a, a bigger risk, I would say, to um, women like Tyler and Schultz because they came from the community. Right. And so they would have to endure humiliation, threats to their lives, um, uh, you know, just, yeah, people just saying disparaging things to their reputation. So I can't imagine how that was how for them psychologically mm -hmm. and spiritually, but yet she carried on and, um you know, according to her eldest granddaughter, she uh, liked to sing spiritual songs. So in that way, she kept up her, her practice. I don't know if she necessarily went to mass or anything, but, um, you know, the, that community, that Christian community was uh, played a huge role in her development. Um, and it also led her to, uh, bec to become the first civil servant for Angel Island, government worker. She was hired by the government to be an interpreter at Angel Island um, to, so, so that when there were Chinese women, you know, um, coming off the boats on Angel Island, she can kind of determine is this person, you know, um, right. victim of trafficking, you know, and all that stuff. And so that was a lot on her shoulders. Um, and then that's where she met her husband, um, and uh, Fred Schultz, and he was, or Charles Schultz, sorry. <laughs> Fred Schultz is her son. Charles Schultz was the, uh, her, the father of her uh, children. And he is uh, Caucasian. He's of German descent. And um, at that time, and not a lot of people in this, another thing. So when I share people Thai story, it's like learning just all these components of our country, you know, in terms of, in terms of how it was founded on white supremacy and how it's so pernicious today. So I say, okay, she, you know, she met this, this Caucasian guy and who worked there and they lost their jobs because right. they fell in love. And people were like, what? I was like, yeah, this is many, many years before the loving case, which right. didn't go through the Supreme court until the 1960s, like 1965. So, and that wasn't even that long ago. Right. And now even today, I'm like going all over the place because history is a mess. <laughs> history <laughs> and today, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes- It's all kind it's of like a mess. <laughs> colluding, yeah, it's colluding. It's like, am I, are we back in those times is today? The it's timelines like, are converging for sure. Yes, yes. Like this isn't new, people. You know, <laughs> sorry. I just like, uh, you know, and like, and 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 I mean, oh my god. I mean, and and even I didn't even get to the abortion stuff yet because it's in her story, right? Right. And well, let's take a quick break yeah. before we get to. I mean, just so much in her story, um, and like you said, it's all connected. Is the past and the present? They're always all connected. But before we get to some of you know those continued connections, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR ninety one point seven FM.
You're here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Don K. Wing, who is a reference and instruction librarian at Metropolitan State University in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the founder of Water Pig Press. And Don, before the break, you were really getting into the story of Tai Long Schultz, who you ha have created this just amazing comics biography. And we kind of left off in and Ty's story kind of at the time where she meets and falls in love um, with another civil servant on Angel Island, um, German. Um, she's Chinese American. And so already very taboo. Um, and so kind of pick us up there on what happens. You kind of mentioned that they both lose their jobs, but can you give us a little more context for what's happening at this time? Sure, yeah, so um, this was around 1910, so I believe it was before, around the time when she casted that first boat in California in 1912, so this is before um, the 19th Amendment went through, so that it gave the woman the right to vote uh, later on. Um, so she, um, yeah, she, so she was kind of on this path, like with the support of um, the Presbyterian Mission Home in San Francisco's Chinatown, where she uh, dedicated a chunk of her life to supporting and advocating for uh, victims of sex trafficking at the time. Um, you know, and the Chinese Exclusion Act I mentioned, it was, it was enacted in 1862, and it would go on until 1942. So it's the first and only thus far um, immigration policy to ban a group of people of, of a particular nationality from immigrating to the United States. Um, but that racism, as we know, and xenophobia still exists, you know, as we're seeing in terms of the violent um, kind of um, patrol that's happening on the south of the border here uh, with um, migrants coming, you know, from, from, from Haiti and from Latin America and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And so, um, so her story just touches on so many issues that still are happening today. Um, so at any rate, she's very fully aware, right, of just the times that she's living in and these opportunities are uh, that she's having is just really just unique and she's making the most of it, not just for herself, but to help her community, um, but to also be true to herself, right? So it's not like she elopes with this man like just to make a statement, right? I, she must right. have known, she must have known this is going to be of great risk, but I'm going, it's, uh, we're, we love each other. They did what they thought because I went into the archives and their marriage certificate was actually in the state of Washington mm -hmm. where um, where they probably thought that because interracial uh, marriages there were, you know, not an issue, so to speak, on a, from a legal sense, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably still a social issue and taboo in, in that sense. But despite them going out of state, um, and I'm kind of like maybe para I'm thinking it's similar to before marriage equality, the Marriage Equality Act, you know, mm -hmm. uh, same-sex couples would go to other states where they could get married and, you know, whatever. So I think they were doing sort of the equivalent of that as a mixed-race couple. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the Angel Island is a, it's no longer an active immigration um, port, you know, it was uh, kind of like the West Coast version of Ellis Island, but more to keep out <laughs> the Chinese. Um, so any, and so anyway, it's, uh, she, um, and Charles, like they come back and, uh, yeah, it was just, their superiors were like, this is not okay. So we're going to basically ask you to leave. And that puts him in a very rough patch. They had to raise four kids and he dies, um, 
pretty young. Um, and so she had to raise four mixed race children on her own in San Francisco's Chinatown and take on a lot of different work. And um, but still, you know, uh, being a translator for the community and helping people get services that they need. Um, she was like a social worker at a hospital. She worked for the telephone company. And um, a lot of people knew to go to her because of just the exposure and kind of the knowledge she had of how to navigate because of her experiences working at Angel Island. Um, and, you know, and she was a huge advocate of, yeah, exercise your rights. You know, we can vote now. <laughs> like, so, so she was informed and wanted to make sure others in her community were informed and um, engaged um, however they could be uh, to lead better lives. Um, and she understood the discrimination very well because she had to live through it and suffered the consequences. Um, and so they're mixed, they're just kind of going back, you know, she had to deal with, um, you know, her family wasn't thrilled that she decided to marry a white guy and his family wasn't thrilled, that, right. you know, they went on with it anyway. and. And I, I admire that bravery, you know, I admire that they just were very open in that way. And uh, according to her grandchildren, you know, they were both unconventional people in general. Um, he was a musician and he kind of went off and had his interests and she loved to gamble, you know, she liked to have a good time. So, um, you know, she, yeah, didn't really re restrain herself. It wasn't like, you know, I, it didn't seem like the model minority mm -hmm. <laughs> stereotype you know, um, was something that she felt like, she, you know, ha she had to like live up to or anything. And um, like that a lot of perhaps like subsequent generations of Asian Americans right. thereafter feel like that kind of ghost, you know, that kind of nagging, that, oh, you know, go away. Mm -hmm. So she, so I like her in that, you know, it's, I can point to her story and be like, you know, this person lived a very full life. Yes. You know, she may not have had much materially because of her circumstances, the discrimination, like she only had really up to what, like an elementary school education. She herself says it in her essay, she only really left um, one primary source in her own writing and voice that I could find. Um, I asked her family, hey, did you ever video record her? You know, she died in the 70s. So it's like they may have had, <laughs> you know, they took photographs of her and whatnot, but not a lot. And I couldn't locate any tape recorded interviews that she did. And according to them, she kept pretty quiet about a lot of the things that she did. And for good reason, because some of it was of sensitive material. Like, um, so I mentioned the Chinese Exclusion Act um, made it very, very, it was very restrictive. And so it's like very few ch people of Chinese descent, like if they were um, merchants or, you know, coming to the US for schooling, like, okay, other than that, no. But still people, there was a system called the paper sun system. And that was, uh, you know, if you can prove that you were the son or daughter of like an established citizen, if this Chinese American, um, you know, has a business here and you're like, oh, I'm so-and-so son. So there is a, this business, <laughs> you know, buying false paper, false identities essentially. Right. So that's how people, like my own grandfather was a paper son. That's how they came through. And so she was probably helping a lot of paper sons, right? And so she probably had to um, keep that mom. She probably knew who wasn't here legally and, you know, whatever, um, and connected those folks to resources that they need, you know, medically or whatever. And also I learned that she helped women um, if they needed abortions, you know, that was sort of for a long time, 
<laughs> you know, something I think that her family was reluctant, but there, she is in a news article, like her photo, her photo was in a news article where she was arrested. Um, and it's also on the National uh, Park Service website too, is something, you know, yeah, she um, was involved in that. And because, um, and it's also um, recorded in scholarly texts, uh, such as that by the late professor, Dr. Judy Young, uh, premier, she was an eminent pioneering um, scholar of Chinese American, her story, you know, did, grew up in San Francisco, Chinatown, and I kind of honor and dedicate my work to her because she, yeah, she, this was in the 70s, she was a librarian too, and she's like, no one's collecting these stories about these extraordinary Chinese American women, and they're getting older, and they have a lot to teach us, they have a lot, you know, we're not just these stereotypes of either right. dragon ladies or like, little you know lotus flowers you know it's like it's like no we, we are not passive like right. we've you know done a lot for our communities and you know um and and they and these women they have a lot to teach us even today even if they're no longer you know alive and present in this with us today but their spirit is you know and they're you know because it's so complex like we internalize you know our parents internalize it or at least I'll speak in my case with my own family it's like so much internalization we must assimilate we must you know um because we don't want to stick out even more than we do and you know and at the end of the day you know what people are gonna say or see or whatever project you know whatever they think be because of ignorance and because of these pernicious um ignorance of the history and pernicious stereotyping through the media and and whatnot but you know I'm going to live my life and be like I I'm done and I I'm an artist <laughs> I like to tell stories in this way and these are my interests I love to go you know and yes I have these experiences because of how per people perceive me because of you know my ancestors experiences because of our race but that's not all of who I am and Ty I believe just that she just lived her life she was conscious obviously she knew you know her the circumstances and the discrimination she had to navigate um, but that did not stop her you know from being true to herself you know even if people within her community and wider American society were you know, they probably didn't know what to make of her. <laughs> like, right. You know, it was a woman just like, you know, she she wears traditional the turn some she always wore the traditional Chinese dress. So if you didn't know her, saw it, you know, like she's just that Chinese grandma. But they're like, oh no, she likes to gamble. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to go take the bus and she likes to gamble and she, you know, um isn't afraid to just go and catch a chicken and kill it, you know. <laughs> um and she's not afraid to marry a guy outside of her race and you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she, uh, you know, I think her courage and her spirit is, um, and her resistance, you know, again, she wasn't someone who boasted, you know, she didn't exist during so the times of social media, you know, <laughs> so her world was, she never really left Chinatown, you know, other than to go and elope and get married and, you know, but she, um, still made a huge impact, you know, and I don't think it was in her mindset. I'm going to go out and like, you know, be this, you know, right. she just was herself. And I kind of want people to realize like we can be ordinary people and still in our own ways each and every day. Like if people need help, um, like in this case of her recognizing, okay, in her community, there were Chinese women. If they, they had a brood of children and did not want to have another child, right? Like mm -hmm. she knew somehow <laughs> that's also a mystery to me. It's like, you know, she get connected because that was um, an abortion. Um, it was a, I guess they call it an abortion ring, but it, 
uh, in the article, they never mentioned the word abortion, of course. This was in the 1940s. They just called it like taking women to these places to get procedures. You know? <laughs> and um, and so she was kind of the conduit. Like she, you know, would pick a woman up, you know, a patient up and and kind of, you know, travel with them in the car. And they would kind of, she would, ha- you know, they had to duck down. So they didn't know where they were going mm-hmm. and then take them to the doctors and, you know, have the procedure done. And so um, she was arrested because there was this crime that that particular, uh, it was a mafia. It was like an organized cr- criminal group. <laughs> they got, they got caught. There was some sort of murder. And then long story short, investigators realized like, oh, this mafia is like running this abortion ring. And so she, <laughs> she was implicated. And that's why she was photographed along with other people who were arrested. Oh, wow. And she's just mm-hmm. sitting there and she's just looking at the camera. She's just... <laughs> very defiant and um and you know here we are 2022 you know and everyone's talking about freaking out about as we should about roe v wade and and it's just kind of like yeah you know this is ongoing like this is daily kind of we always have to remind ourselves like what our ancestors had to do you know to get the to you know have to exercise what they needed to do over their our own bodies, you know, and um, the risks they took, and she was a part of that history. Yeah. And I'm, and she certainly wasn't the only one, right? A woman across so many communities, and we're still learning, right? Because there's still that taboo, there's still that stigma, and it's, yeah. So, so I, her story is highly relevant today in so many ways, and um, yeah, yeah. I just, I think- yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, it's, it is so important for people to document these stories. I mean, you don't have to have to be, you know, an illustrator, you don't have to have, you know, great artistic talent to even just record, you know, the the narratives of your elders, or even Mm -hmm. not even necessarily elders, even your peers, right? All of that documentation is so important, because like you said, you know, how can we even remember or draw from some of the the past actions of people when we don't know that history. So I think it's such important work that you're doing and other folks as well for saying like, hey, these stories are important. And in particular, like these awesome Asian American women, like you said, that aren't the stereotype, that the stories of our lives aren't contained within what other people think about us which is often the history that we hear, that we hear, right? Other people's stories of who we are. And I think what you said about Thai um, is so important because, you know, it is a resistance story, like you said, but it's also just the story of her everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, as you mentioned, she didn't set out to say, oh, how can I change history, <laughs> right? She just did. <laughs> exactly, yeah. did, like you said, <laughs> This is a story of her being true to herself and kind of living out some values, which even in reading her her story, those values become apparent, like being being a part of a community, but also stepping in as a community member to get people what they need to just live their daily life. Right. And so I think there's so much in her story that is applicable to today um, in just the everyday actions. Yeah. 
And not to mention, of course, all of these other connections, as you mentioned, with xenophobia, racism, and sexism, um, all of that as well. So there's just so many different layers to her story. And I'm just so glad that you were able to make, you know, to again, to be curious and to make the connections with people so that you could actually you know, learn more about her story and to, to share it with us. I mean, what a gift for everyone involved, for, for you, for her family, but then also for us as readers to be able to learn from her, her story as well. Well, let's take another short break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Don Wing, who's the founder of Water Pig Press. And, you know, we've been talking about this gorgeous comics biography that you created um, about the story of Ty Schultz and her life. Um, a revolutionary woman, an amazing Asian American woman, Chinese American woman, um, who's done, who did so much in her life that I think we can all be proud of, but especially as Asian American women, I think there is something so special about having um, historical figures, right, for us to look towards. Um, because oftentimes we don't even know some of our own histories, right? Because it's not circulated, it's not promoted. So I love what you're doing with this book. And I think it's just so important too. I'm glad we're having this conversation during Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Um, because again, I think of this month as a time for even us to celebrate some of the histories and little known histories, right? Even to ourselves. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about this month and I'm wondering, you know, for you, Don, um, what does this month mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it mean, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I recently, I didn't really think about it. It's kind of coincidental, but, um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is like honoring ancestors mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. kind of converging kind of um, my own upbringing, um, you know, in New York, my, it was, my parents worked. And so my grand, my paternal grandparents, my mom, Anya raised me and my siblings mostly. And so I was over at their house and um, I didn't really know much about them. Um, my grandfather died when I was 10. He was a pretty quiet guy. Um, I, I knew he was a paper son, um, and that was about it. And that my, him, he and my grandmother, who was his second wife, uh, because his first wife in China had passed away. So my my grandmother was very young at the time. It, she was an arranged uh, picture bride. Mm -hmm. So she came to the U.S. Um, after World War II, and that's when he, her and my grandfather started family. And so um, they used to have a, like a shrine, you know, they would honor the ancestors. And I kind of, you know, since moving to Minnesota, like I was trying to retrace and kind of like honor my ancestors in the way that my ancestors did. Um, and, you know, kind of do more research on that end, you know, in terms yeah. of just learning kind of like, I'm, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not a very I don't practice anymore, mm. but I, I, from a spiritual perspective, I want to learn more um, in terms of uh, like Asian, Asian American um, spiritual practices. Um, since moving to Minnesota, you know, one place that I went to was a Buddhist temple. And, um, and that's also fascinating um, history too, in terms of like 
uh, the Japanese Americans and when they immigrated and uh, continued their Buddhist practice and kind of how that influenced American American mm -hmm. practices of Buddhism and you know conversations and questions around appropriation and all that stuff. But anyway, so um, I guess I when I think about um, May, you know, I'm trying to in terms of like learning more and practicing more and honoring kind of like my own background um, uh, as being a woman of um, Asian descent, um, that end, and as well as also, um, yeah, just continuing on uh, my creativity. I, the Tian Wu story you mentioned, um, I'm trying to finish that up. So it's very much on my mind, all these kind of topics um, about honoring ancestors, whether it's through like, you know, putting up an altar, photographs, um, and like remembering, you know, uh, different ways in which we can, um, again, bring, integrate the spirit of our ancestors to our daily life, but also creatively continue on producing these and sharing these stories um, as I've done with Ty. Um, so I guess that's my answer to your question. <laughs> yes. No, I, you know, I, I think it's so important, you know, this idea of honoring our ancestors and even through these works that you're doing I see as a form of honoring our collective ancestors as well and you know for me I'm thinking especially since the start of COVID-19 how I think important it has been to cultivate these practices of staying connected to both ancestors and that legacy of resistance, but also to one another as yes. well. Um, and I think that's what's kind of on my mind this May as a time where, you know, this is a celebratory time or, you know, all these different heritage months that we have throughout the year for different groups is seen as like a time to celebrate. But it's also for me a little time of mourning, I think, mm -hmm. um, in this, you know, this current time period with so many different social issues, the social injustices happening. But then, of course, especially with thinking about where we are in an ongoing global health crisis. And again, that connection to past and present, Asians in America being scapegoated as the reason that we, you know, even entered into a global pandemic and, and just a scapegoat also for, I think, a lot of people's um, just general frustrations with the world and, and the sense of, you know, what's happening next and, you know, feeling really uncertain about the future. And so I'm also feeling a little, I think a little bit of, of sadness or grief this month as well. Same. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, especially as seasonally, you know, people are like, oh, it's spring. And in, in, in Minnesota, the winters are so long and harsh. People are like, Hi. <laughs> and so, and, but in some ways I felt safe and be by feeling cloistered, right. I'm mm -hmm. not as out in the open as much and I love to bike, you know, and I've had my unfortunate experiences of being harassed and, you know, especially COVID. And so I'm like, oh no, like, so I do, I was mentioning to my emails, like, oh, there's that little anxiety, even traveling, even traveling to the conference, or I'll just say this at the conference, it was very interesting, just visually at the hotel, you know, we were being conscientious. And so we were all masking, right? right. But there in Denver, it was like, not straight. I, I don't, I think they lifted it. So I was like, oh, okay. There's a lot of Asians wearing masks and a lot of people around 
around us or not. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, we were fine, I guess, because we were large in number, you know, right, but, right. In the, but I, I live alone mm-hmm. and I like to, I'm very independent. I like to travel alone. I like to do everything on my own. And it's just that remind, yeah, it's just that reminder. I'm like, damn, we're sorry, darn, we're in 20, <laughs> darn, we're in 2022, darn it. And, you know, I, right, like I read about, um, from Judy, Dr. Judy Young's works of just describing how Asian Chinese women back then in mm-hmm. the late 19th century were spat on, harassed. And I'm like, okay, here we are again. You know, it's like, I can't just, I'm this, you know, I'm third generation, second, third generation Chinese American. And I can't even just walk out of my house, you mm-hmm. know, without fearing like, you know, it's like, can I trust this person? Can I trust that, you know, who's got my back, right? And so you carry the pepper spray and all that stuff. And so kind of bringing back to that kind of why I feel so connected and wanting to do some sort of every morning, just, you know, incense, you know, just like honoring my ancestors, because it's also really about protection. You know, I kind of feel like you're here with me and I'm, no, I'm not alone. This isn't, you know, you've been through what you've been through. And, you know, they, I'm lucky that my grand grandparents lived a long life and, um, you know, just we're very resilient. And I think it's, for me, I take it upon myself. It's my responsibility because of my privilege in terms of education, socioeconomically, you know, I've done well. And I was like, you know, I am able to have the time, the means, the energy to do the work I do to push back with love. I re- I mentioned, you know, it's like, I'm going to assert, I'm going to push back, you know, and challenge, you know, when people presume something about me or say something that perpetuates stereotypes about not just Asian Americans, but I feel like in conjunction with just, this is a, a huge moment in time where uh, we all really need to come together, you know, different communities, Black Lives Matter, you know, and, and um, you know, communities working for justice for undoc- undocumented immigrants, um, et cetera, you know, like women fighting for rights to have control of their own body. It's all interconnected, right? you know? And so it's like, when we come together, there's more power, there's more energy of feeling like, okay, we're, we're not alone. And, you know, we can actually get quite much, uh, a lot like catalyzed and, and moving forward. It, it is, a, it's not a sprint. I, right. you know, I, when I do, when I kind of like do my moment of just honoring the ancestors, it's like, this is you know, do the work now. I don't, there's a quote, sorry, I'm going all over the place, but <laughs> I swim, I swim um, at the Jewish community center. I love to swim. That's what I do for my own health. Water is healing to me. And at this Jewish community center, there are these beautiful screen prints with like Hebrew writings. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them said something like, you know, you can start the work, you know, something like don't, you know, and then someone else in the future will follow on it. Just do the work. You know, you may not see the fruits of it, like the grant, you know, kind of what we hope, you know, but have the vision, plant the seeds, keep tending to it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this isn't just about me or you, you know, this is beyond us, just as our ancestors, you know, they, they didn't know like my grandfather, uh, you know, coming over on a boat, you know, like taking on a false identity. Like he was just like, all right, I got to go to a place where there are opportunities so I can just support myself and my family and what will happen here <laughs> you know I can't imagine I always think it's like what's it, what is it like for you to be a, to be a refugee to, for you or for you to leave your like it has to be a very dire circumstance like people aren't just going to want to like uproot themselves right and that's been ongoing you know for right. centuries and so I remember you know this isn't anything new and you know but um 
you know, but we, yeah, we, you know, do, do, do what we can know we're not alone in terms of who's around us presently, but also who came before us and who comes after. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, I kind of try to keep in mind, especially when, you know, I'm hearing like the next doom and gloom on the news cycle. It's like, okay, (laughs) we can kind of freak out for a moment, but let's, you know, get back to business. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is so true. Well, Don, we are almost at the end of our time together this morning. Um, How can people learn more about your work or stay in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. Great place is just to visit my site, www.waterpigpress.com. That is where I try (laughs) to put as many updates um, in terms of um, local arts events in the Twin Cities. I'm based in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I have a shared studio space in Minneapolis. Um, and uh, I do go to different conferences, um, as you know, Sana, and, and comics festival. So um, I don't know if, if you're in Toronto, <laughs> you know, I'll be at the Toronto Comics Festival uh, June 17th to 19th. Uh, hopefully I will debut um, my newest book on Tianwu. Um, and I'll also be at the Small Press Expo in Maryland. It's a pretty major indie comics festival um, that happens annually. That's in September. So anyway, all the details are on my site. Um, so yeah, check out what I'm up to there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. And thank you for sharing um, some of Ty Schultz's story with us this morning as well. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Lena. Thank you so much to Don K. Wing for joining us this morning and sharing just a little bit of Ty Long Schultz's story. I mean, are you not just completely enraptured by the story of this phenomenal woman? I mean, just so amazing. If you want to learn more, you can definitely check out the full comics biography, Ty Long Schultz, translator for justice. Again, I, I'm just... I'm so amazed by this story and it is such a source of empowerment and strength to know that there were Asian American women like Ty, you know, really leading the charge, being the first, of course, to do so many important works, but also, and again, what I think is just so unique about how Don, you know, tells this story is it is, yes, a a story of resistance, but it's just also a story of being true to yourself. And I think that is a message, you know, that is important today as ever. So for today's positive note, I just want to reiterate something that Dawn shared, which was that, you know, we have to have the vision, we plant the seeds, and we keep tending to those seeds that we've planted, and we can rest in the knowledge that someone else will pick up where we left off. Someone else will still continue to tend to those seeds, which will in time bear fruit. And that is a promise that I think we can definitely hold on to today. Well, this has been Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm here every Monday morning and you should join me. Come on back next Monday. And of course, as always, you can subscribe to the show in podcast format, wherever you listen to podcasts. And that way, never miss an episode. And always you get to hear those great replays as well. Can't wait to have you back here with me again next Monday morning.